Jeff. 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 Where the f*** is Jeff? Clayton. Huh? Jeff. I don't, I don't know where Jeff is. You want to help record this? Eh, sure. We don't need Jeff anyway. Well, hello. This is Rounding Third. I'm your producer, David Robbins. And I'm your head writer, Clayton Lawson. Wait, head writer? Yeah, you don't pay me. I can put whatever I want on my business card. And I'm the wrong recording anyway. Well, fine. And congratulations on your new promotion. Uh, again, this is Rounding Third, the only podcast on the net who apparently doesn't have a host. Because we don't need a host because we don't have a budget. And no budget, no problems. You mean no kids, no problems. <laughs> well played, well played. Uh, anyway, in honor of uh, our rounding third fans who you know, don't really give a fuck about baseball, we're going to start off with a story about fans who do. And by do, we mean fans who really, really give a fuck about baseball. The Shawnee Mission Birth Center, a hospital in Kansas, has seen a spike in childbirth this month. And not just a spike... They have broken their record for most births ever in a single month, logging a total of 473 screaming, slippery bundles of joy. Now, scholars could debate the cause of this increase, but residents of Kansas have already identified and publicized the cause. They were just so excited that the Royals were in the World Series nine months ago that they couldn't keep their hands off each other. Now, When I say that, I'm not referring to heavy petting. I don't mean they were massaging each other's calves, licking each other's nipples, or licking... Well, you know what? This show is called Rounding Third. You can guess what kind of licking I wasn't going to imply. Because this is a family broadcast. Come on. No, when we say that they couldn't keep their hands off each other, I mean they were f***ing. Like coitus. In the biblical sense. Exactly. And to paraphrase the findings of the wonderful statisticians at the Shawnee Mission Birth Center, they were fucking a lot. According to the Kansas City Star, quote, Erica and David Stock took home three souvenirs from the 2014 World Series. Tickets, a program, and nine months later, their baby boy, Beckett Kaufman Stock. Kaufman, of course, being the name of the stadium. Was that me? No, that was supposed to be Jeff. (laughs) wow it's really it's really awkward when you write jokes specifically for your host and then they're not even here anyway miss stock said this baby was definitely a curveball but a good one it's too bad this story was first published in a real publication like the star who couldn't get away with any of the terrible puns a lowly podcast like rounding third might have used such as Here comes David Stock. The count is two balls, no strikes. Here in the Grapefruit League, he's lathering up his hands in pine tar as he takes a hold of his good, thick wood. The pitcher winds up and pulls his foot off the rubber, and oh my, David Stock hits it out of the park, into the bleachers, and his teammates come squirting out of the dugout to greet him at the plate. Well... At least that's how how we would have said it. Or we could have we could have gone with the default which my mother would have used, who actually just so happened to be born at the Shawnee Mission Birth Center, which would have been Well, David, when a man and a woman love each other very much. So congratulations, Kansas. You sure know how to celebrate by exchanging bodily fluids. And by not winning the World Series. 
Oh, that was mean. Come on. Give that one to them. So, speaking of, well, babies, not so much about the fluids, there was an epic hot dog race at a baseball game this week, and when I went to go find it to record this bit, we actually found one that was even more epic. So, here's a brief recap of both of them. The first one, the real one, starts out super depressing intro. No one's cheering, despite the saddled announcer trying to entice the racers to get excited. And Mustard bolts out from the gate, and Ketchup goes into a high-speed wobble almost immediately. Is that a NASCAR term? Uh, no, more of a motorcycle term. So, Ketchup goes down, face first, grabbing Mustard's leg on the way down. And Relish, who's in last place, sees the collision and relishes in his certain victory. Down goes Ketchup! So, the camera guy gets an F covering this because the announcer is yelling, Ketchup is coming out of his suit! While Relish is just kind of frolicking along his condiment way. And then, out of nowhere, comes this tiny kid doing his best impression of Seabiscuit. The kid dives head first, swiping the ribbon for victory. And the kid in the Relish suit has this big, sad look on his face going, No! And I'm assuming he cried his way home. But number two, both of these events, starting with Mustard, the kid in the suit is running, leading, and then living Usain Bolt's worst nightmare, his Mustard pants fall down. So kid face plants, bounces off the turf, tries to get up, falls down again, and then the race officiant who waved the starting flag comes running up to help him, gets him off the ground, pants still around his ankles, and BAM! Falls again. And he is just covered in dirt. The hot dog suit looks like it got run over by a truck. The kid's got a big scrape on his right knee. The flag guy is desperately trying to help him get his pants pulled up. And somewhere, Jared Fogle is cringing at the thought of someone doing that. And this kid, who is now sobbing in his hot dog suit, is having his least favorite day at the ballpark. And may I point out, in case the parents mentioned in the earlier story are listening, these both took place at Kauffman Stadium. But at least he got a standing ovation. And hopefully some new pants. Ha <laughs> ha. Look who it is. Oh, about time. Uh, rounding third podcast. Hey, uh, Dave. Uh, how you doing, buddy? I, I'm, I'm good, but... Jeff, what the f***? Where are you? We were supposed to start recording like a half hour ago. And how are you calling us? This isn't a real radio show. We don't even have a phone line. Clayton, it's it's the internet. It works, it works magic. Touche. Here's the thing. I So your sister, uh, my wife, kind of, um, she's in the process of delivering our baby, Dave. So I'm not going to be able to record tonight. Your nephew is being born. Nephew? Your niece is being born. Jeff, with all due respect, you're not a doctor. You can't deliver that baby, which means you have no excuse not to be here recording right now. Clayton, I, I, I know we haven't spoken in a while, buddy, but I really appreciate some patience on this one. I, I, I need to go, okay? Olivia Rose Besselman is coming into the world now. Wait, Rose? Like Pete Rose? Dave, Olivia Rose Besselman, it's not named after Pete Rose. Get your head out of your ass, man. Listen, Jeff, I don't know who you think... Jeff? Jeff? Dave, Jeff's gone. (sighs) 
Well, we would have dedicated the next few minutes to some big tribute to my new niece. Or nephew, depending on what Jeff wants to call it. But since he's gone, here's Jeff's favorite segment, the Trouncing of the Week. Well, the Trouncing of the Week is going to none other than the Boston Red Sox. Despite now being about 10 games under 500, the Red Sox gave the Seattle Mariners an absolute beating this past week. In the first two games of the series, they won 15-1 and then 22-10. Seattle took the rubber match, but the Red Sox managed to go off on none other than Seattle ace King Felix in Game 2 to win the series convincingly. The craziest part of this story happens to be the fact that they did it just days after their manager, John Farrell, was diagnosed with lymphoma and days before their manager, Ben Charrington, was fired. Regarding the lymphoma announcement, the team responded with great emotion in the two wins. In a city like Boston, where the Red Sox helped pick up their own town after the horrible Boston Marathon bombing, it was the city that stood up to support one of their own while they were struggling. Fan mail, tweets, signs at the game, and even other managers in baseball came to show support for Farrell and his team. Most notably was Cleveland Indian manager Terry Francona. Francona and Farrell first met playing for the Indians in 1988 and continued to stay in touch both within and outside of baseball. At one point, Farrell served as the pitching coach for Francona's Red Sox and then eventually replaced him as the manager. But when Farrell was diagnosed and announced that he was about to start chemotherapy treatment, it was his old friend Terry who showed up to take him to his treatment. Stories like these are the backbone of what fans have come to love about baseball. New York was brought together by the success of the Yankees after 9-11, even though they lost to my Diamondbacks, and the Red Sox after the marathon bombings. And those are just the bigger, more memorable stories. There are hundreds of other stories throughout the last century and a quarter of baseball supporting its fans and players and then being reciprocated by fans in cities uplifting their teams. What most people forget is that at its core, baseball, and every other sport for that matter, is not just about the sport itself. It's not about the winner and the loser. It's not about who made a great play and who made a mistake. It's not about position battles and trades or expansion teams or rule changes or steroids. Baseball and sports are about camaraderie. They're about what a team makes you feel, whether that be pride in your city or pride in your fellow fans. They provide a means for strengthening old and finding new friends. The wins and losses are just a means to the end of people finding something to bond over, not just a simple entertainment. This is why the John Farrell story is intriguing and resonates not only with fans, but people. Baseball in Texas has been all about the Houston Astros so far this year. A perennial 100-loss team finally making it with some of the talent gained from their primo draft picks, making a postseason run for the first time since getting their pants pulled down by the Chicago White Sox in the 2005 World Series. But let's not forget about the other team from Texas, the Texas Rangers, who have won the AL pennant twice since the Astros last saw October. Before the season started, they had a stacked roster and bullpen, but they lost Jerickson Profar before spring training even began, and then saw Hugh Darvish snap his elbow and lost him for the season too, also in spring training. 
This left the Rangers to patch up their rotation with 12 starters used so far this season, only two of whom have an ERA of less than four, one of those two being Derek Holland, who's only started twice. So why are we talking about them if they've just been so bad? Well, it turns out they have somehow managed to stay in contention even after losing just about everyone on their team. When I ordered this story to be written, they were a Cinderella bet hanging just one game outside of a wildcard spot, but in the days since then, they've taken it. If the playoffs started today, the Texas Rangers and the New York Yankees would be the two American League wildcards. Giovanni Gallardo has anchored their rotation with 25 starts and a 3.39 ERA, and the bats have done the rest. Prince Fielder found his swing again, hitting 321 with 17 homers, while Mitch Moreland has finally shown what he can do, leading the team with 18 home runs. Delino DeShields Jr., a Rule 5 pick from the Astros at the winter meetings, performed well with 21 stolen bases before an injury which led to the recall of top prospect Rugnet Odor, who has been hot with 5 triples and 8 homers since his return. Plus, they managed to trade for old outfielder Josh Hamilton, who has actually performed more or less the same as he did the last couple years, but Texas seems to be happy about it, where the Angels hated him for it. Well, but... I mean, he also missed a bunch of games when he played for Anaheim for, how do you say, non-baseball-related activities. So I can I can sympathize with the fans not really feeling all that forgiving for that. For our last segment, we're going to do a special edition of Things That Aren't Real. As you know, I pay too much attention to Vegas odds and like to talk about them. But this week, instead of doing that... We took a survey of all six writers on the show to see who they think will make it to the World Series and who's going to win. So, not that we're not creative, but all six of us picked the Royals to at least make it to the American League Championship Series. Everyone except Clayton here picked the Blue Jays as well. You, Clayton, picked Houston, which I guess I'll give you a chance to explain yourself in a minute, you outlier. But uh, the National League is a bit more varied. Uh, Clayton, you and I both picked the Dodgers and the Cardinals. Eric and Kate both picked the Cubs. Kate got the Mets. Jeff and Tom both picked the Pirates. Jeff has them winning in six. But Tom has the Jays winning in six. So, Royals, 2015? Yeah, I think uh, the Royals proved to everybody last year that they're an actual contender. Uh, What I don't think the Royals have going for them this year, much like last year, is just the consistency to to perform and actually win the World Series. I think given any other year they could do it, but I don't think they'll match up against the eventual National League winner, which you and I have both being the St. Louis Cardinals in a showdown of the Missouri World Series. As far as the other predictions are concerned... uh, with Tom and Jeff both picking the Pirates to make it to the World Series, I'm just going to have to go ahead and write that off as nonsense because, well, they haven't been able to beat the Cardinals all season long. And as far as Kate picking the Mets, it's a bold pick, probably kind of a sexy pick. They have a great young pitching staff with five, sometimes six starters, depending on who they've got going. The problem is, I don't know who's going to actually drive in runs for them. Despite their starting pitching and their bullpen being fantastic, who the hell is El Duda? Never heard of that guy. David Wright, fairly sure he's been injured the last 10 years of his career. And Wilmer Flores, who might have been traded, might not have. That guy still can't hit. 
All right, so I'll, I'll agree with you to, to kind of write off the picks of the, of the Pirates. I mean, I'll, I'll give Jeff credit. He, you know, he did just have a baby. So I guess that could that could throw off the judgment a little bit. But I'm, I'm pretty sure he's been picking them all season, but I, he probably does it every season. But anyway, I, I mean, yeah, I, I'll agree with you. The Mets, the Mets are kind of a bold pick, but, I mean, you've got the Astros making it to the ALCS. I mean, they've been... They have been on a tear. They have done very well this season, but they've only got two pitchers who have more than ten wins. How do you how do you figure they're gonna? How do you predict they're gonna beat out Toronto if they're they're the ones who they have to make it past to even get there? I feel like Toronto is a good pick, maybe even the Yankees, but I don't think that Toronto has the ability to pull through in the long run. I mean, after all, how many teams? have traded the quote-unquote rented players and then gone on to win a World Series. I'm not sure that you could look that up or even be able to quantify it. It's just a curious point that I don't know that any team's ever been able to actually pull it off. But going back to the Houston Astros, they do have a great one-two punch. Their top two pitchers, Keuchel and McHugh, are beasts. So you're right, they they do have, they do have a good one-two punch, but so, so does Los Angeles. So do, so do a bunch of teams. But how can you put those two teams on the same level when they have such different types of one-two punches where Los Angeles clearly has more power behind theirs? I think that's a great question. And I think the different levels are that the Dodgers are much more experienced. Uh, Zach Greinke, phenomenal pitcher and having an amazing year. The type of year that his counterpart, Clayton Kershaw, had last year almost. The only knock against Kershaw is he's never been able to do it in the playoffs. But then again, Randy Johnson had that same comparison before he went on to win the World Series and be a co-MVP in the 2001 World Series. Not a bad point, but I'm I'm going to stick with my pick. I think I think the Royals are going to make it this year. I mean, they're they're having they're having babies named after their stadium. I mean that that you're, you're talking about things that can't be quantified. That kind of momentum can't be quantified. And I think I think they've got a special blend of great pitching, great hitting, and and what it takes to to win the World Series this year. Bold strategy, Cotton, picking the Vegas odds to win the World Series. But I'm still gonna go with my pick in the St. Louis Cardinals because they just keep winning. They find a way every night to win, and it's got them the best record in baseball right now, and I don't think anybody, even through the playoffs, is going to be able to stop them. You know what, Clayton? If you want to come after me because I'm, I'm siding with the, the people who get paid big money to pick who's going to win the World Series, you can go ahead and call me boring all day long. And uh, maybe maybe I'll buy you lunch when my when my ticket at uh, at the Bellagio is the one that uh, that gets cashed in at the end of the World Series. So from the rounding third podcast, let's all enjoy a Missouri World Series this fall. And with that, that is our show. Thank you for joining us. And I would like to just go back to one thing, Jeff, Maggie. I can't tell you how happy I am that Olivia Rose Besselman has joined our life. I can't wait to meet her in a few weeks, and I'm very excited to watch you two become some of the best parents the world of sports journalism has ever seen and also the world at large has ever seen. Tune in next week for more baseball facts and BS. I'm your producer, David A. Robbins. Good night.
The Rounding Third Podcast is brought to you by writers and producers David A. Robbins and Clayton Lawson. The contributing writer on this week's episode of Rounding Third was Tom Smith. The Rounding Third theme song is used with permission from John Ross. Follow us on Twitter at RTPod, on Facebook at Facebook.com forward slash Rounding Third Pod, or email us at RoundingThirdPod at gmail.com. The Rounding Third Podcast is available on the iTunes Store. See our Facebook page for a link to subscribe. All materials published on the Rounding Third Podcast are subject to copyright and all rights are reserved by their respective owners. Once again, I'm your host this week, David A. Robbins. Thank you all for joining me, and I'll look forward to filling your minds with more baseball facts in one-fourth of a month. Good night.